Welcome to the Adapting Research Labs podcast. Uh, I did tweak the theme and topic of the podcast in line with my emerging interests. I think that's absolutely fair. I don't have an established brand to care about. I mean, I still care deeply about places, but I have understood place as a kind of integrative framework can help me think. Uh, more deeply about research methods in other domains, you know, about people and about technology, because I do happen to work as a user experience researcher in a day job. So, I think what this episode of Walking and Talking in the Rain with my dog is going to be about uh, is, uh, I'll call it theory building research. I'll talk very practically and I'll be borrowing from different academically defined as separate types of research. I'll try to catch myself if I'm doing that but you have to forgive me if I'm not the, the biggest purist while at the same time being interested in research methods. Uh, I think this one will be fun to go for First, because um, I think it's the one that took me the most time to understand and trust, because it always feels like there's too many leaps of faith that are necessary, kind of invoking the philosophical metaphor there, or I always have uh, the Indiana Jones scene where he has to believe that the next step is going to be there, because a lot of times theory building research one that conceptualizes upwards rather than being analytical downwards seems to never be able to give you the long-term vision but you always can make uh, a step forward into what's the next step in your uh, research and I guess some people would call this inductive type of research uh, one that starts with a an open mind and not necessarily a blank slate you know you, you might have your predispositions you're human but could you put that to the side and do the, the research that's required i actually think in a practical research setting of course we can and then even if that's not a strong enough of a claim you know like oh of course we can put it to the side like don't we have a bias of course we have a bias as well but this bias can be handled by multiple techniques, like seeing what other people think about the research, especially the people that you've spoken with. Once you theorize about them, check if they see themselves in your, in your theorization. A uh, very simple member checking procedure that often gets missed off, but it can give you this sense of relative calm that you kind of are taking the people that you're interested in with you in the theorization and not turning it into your own thing, your own bias. And I guess also one needs to consider the the potential problem of not being systematic enough in this kind of theorization. And I'm thinking mainly about the potential for noise uh, in your decision-making of where to go next with your research. 
that can be handled by being as systematic as possible with kind of initially making a or trying to make the same decision in the in a similar situation again that's probably too much going into the quantitative more analytical aspect but you know it's in the works of, of the latest book from Daniel Kahneman who is a Nobel Prize winner uh, thinking about decision making I think research is a type of decision making and we're constantly faced with decisions even though from the outside a lot of people might think that there is this automatic process that happens on its own without people being a part of it that's definitely not my experience anyone can tell me the opposite I'm obviously not talking about the final stages of some randomized control trial where you entirely need to be sure that you've taken away your personal bias and noise out of the equation as much as possible but I'm talking about theory building initially where you're starting to piece evidence together and I guess where this train of thought takes me is that as much as in the people that might be interested in methodology in the academic sense might see these things as obvious it wasn't obvious to me at all when I started my PhD research uh, but then at the same time while it was becoming obvious what how that differs from the, the general more hypothetical deductive you know scientific method quote-unquote uh, method of you know having hypothesis and testing it and I actually think that in academia it's seen as like self-evident that the generative qualitative type of research is different uh, I don't think that's prevalent in the general public or because it's definitely not prevalent with the people that I engage with and it always seems to be something that you have to explain uh, and then the sad thing is it always it's not even about explaining it's easiest to show with time how it, the, the method does work I mean you do come up with a broader theory that eventually you're able to to get into the detail of now oftentimes people say then you can validate it with uh, another type of research well, I actually don't think often it's necessary you know so many times I see people interested in a very small phenomenon that's like uh, you know thousand people are interested in why would you even need a quantitative method when if you interview 25 of the oh, I said a thousand but like 250 it's possible to interview in depth 250 people <laughs> it's a lot of work and that's why a lot of people don't do it they resort to the to the quant but uh, you actually can use only qualitative and theory generative methods to know enough to be able to act in the world um, and I guess many people would argue that you still then need to have some form of a codification of things into numbers right numbers seem to be more uh, definitive but I'd argue some things are not easily put into numbers and being someone that's interested in user experience and the interaction of people with with computer systems uh, oftentimes yeah, the counting isn't as helpful even though you might get forced to, to do it but 
it, it has its purpose. Uh, I obviously have a bias to Pantone now because I've used the, the quality method a lot more. I have some, you know, understanding of quantitative verification is type of research, but it's just that I, I do get a bit a lot more often. So do bear that in mind. I'm not saying one or the other. It's you know the right tool for the right job, and I'll probably cover it in another episode. But I think my deepest gripe is when I'm faced with people talking about hypotheses, testing in a in a qualitative study, because I used to do that. I'm frustrated that it took me four years to figure out that when your knowledge shifts along with your emerging theory because you're immersing yourself into trying to understand a, a field or a phenomenon and that's okay, then the if you have hypotheses that are stuck here like, oh, this one is no longer valid or like however people treat it in the everyday bastardization of the, the real hypothesis testing type of quantitative research methods is uh, it's worrying but then at the same time does it really hamper practical research i always have to ask myself when i hear people use that kind of terminology thinking of it in long term yes that's why i'm stuck on it i wouldn't just be like ah oh, do you know what it's just a linguistic thing that they do that's wrong i think it's a wrong mental model they have and it get, gives them you know it puts people in under tension because uh, a lot of times in the in the things that we do with the development of of a design for a computer system is that we have to explore uh, initially a, a space of possible design options that might solve you know, the, the, the emerging problem and then if we start thinking about hypotheses there and then it's a bit on wise it's it's not the right approach whereas if you just because you also it's not the data that you tend to get because we we do um, usability sessions where people go through uh, a design and we just literally note where emotionally it seems people are not agreeing with it or they vocally say something or you see behaviorally they don't go in the right direction now this kind of data cannot Oreo wait to stop the dog running away from me. Wait, you can't get a third stick. You're too ambitious. Okay, get it. Okay, he's got three sticks. Oh, hope you're satisfied. It's definitely not satisfying, Oreo. That's not just doing what's good enough. Don't be a maximalist. It's a road to pain and misery. <laughs> uh, Right, I definitely lost my train of thought. Uh, what was I talking about? Quant, follow methods, and the hypothetical uh, struggle that people impose on themselves because it doesn't fit an easy. Oh, yeah, and specifically in design, um, the type of data that we get, yeah, it's uh, can't answer definitively things like hypothesis. Testing, so, uh, but it could tell you whether you should explore something else, uh, especially early in early stages of, of development. That's why there's a whole point we do these, you know, more 
uh, inductive theory building types of researches at the beginning because it's cheaper it's we can do it faster and manipulate them in that way get it done uh, in the time frames uh, as opposed to you know if I had to do uh, a top-down approach uh, through surveying and finding out the right amounts of people uh, to sample is the correct thing in the meantime we're, we're not building anything you know in the physical world our software is still in the physical world I think <laughs> and then we're simulate so I understand why people wouldn't be that deep into the research methods but I really do hate it when I sound like I'm the one that doesn't get it <laughs> when people have the the common sense view of science and is there something to be said about at all defending being able to get people to understand people's common sense understanding matching to how research methods should really be applied i'm starting to lose the belief that you can always still translate things into a common sense language so that people would understand that it is a specialist thing at the end of the day but it saddens me because it does feel slightly lonely when you try to get someone to understand that this is why research is different from what you thought it was and then it just doesn't click and I don't have the time to show everyone through an apprenticeship type of an approach where they observe you as a, as a craftsman and learn because this is how I've been able to learn you know two great professors mentoring me and allowing me to to learn through the mistakes as well as the sometimes when I'm on point and that's that takes long and it's in a professional setting just don't have that time and I guess because I love my rules of thumb what would be a good rule of thumb that I picked up when you're trying to when you're doing theory building generative research oh I'm gonna go for a cliche that that's why it applies so many places trust the process and what I mean by this because you know, my understanding of heuristics and rules of thumb isn't that they're just half-baked or long-term past wisdoms that are somehow irrational but is that they capture stuff that's learned through practice and can be broken down into step-by-step -step thing step-by-step uh, -step process by experience practitioners so the, what I would mean by trust the process is first of all treat every decision that needs to be made along the the research journey theory building as a process as soon as you find yourself in a situation where it feels like there is a static moment where it's either this or that still treat that as a, as a process but an explicit one that's when some something is, isn't going right so whatever process you've been following make it as explicit as possible into 
diagrams or writing it out so that you can see it in a different light away from your, your head. And then whatever comes out of that more explicit process, continue onward with whatever comes out because you're probably nearing a moment where you're going to have to make this almost leap of faith type of feeling and theorizing. Uh, and I have no explanation as to why that is, but in my personal experience, it's just happened over and over again. The biggest one in my personal life being, you know, I'm interested in how people choose where to live. And then I just felt I wanted to live in Bristol in the UK. Just couldn't explain it. Why? You know? Uh, I mean, I kind of know theoretically, but you know, not gonna go into that. But <laughs> uh, during the pandemic, uh, after the first lockdown, we started working remotely, and I just didn't tell uh, my previous employer that I'm moving to Bristol because we were working remote anyway, and I just did it. And things then really worked themselves out. Uh, and it did feel like a leap of faith. And then after, cause after the leap of faith, there is always a, a transformation in your understanding of things. Uh, without sounding, you know, too big headed. It, it just feels like that, you know. You, I don't know if it's just you look out and some leap of faith may, might not pay off. But I do think, in this specific, I think in just about the research process leap of faith, it just means that because you were stuck anyway, you had to make things explicit to work it out. Whatever you come up with might still feel uneasy, but go through to the next page. I hope that's a useful piece of advice.